Welcome to Bonus Features. Some may call it supplemental material, but it's so much more than that. It's the portion of Secret Handshake where we talk to writers, directors, actors, critics, academics, and flat-out film freaks about the movies they love to get a deeper perspective. I'm your host, Jacob Knight, and joining me this week is Liam O'Donnell, the mastermind behind the Skyline series. Now, if you've been following along already, you know we've already had one super large conversation with Liam about Beyond Skyline, the first sequel that he wrote and directed in the Skyline series. Well, what I didn't know when I contacted Liam was that he was in the midst of post-production when we had that first conversation for the second sequel, Skylines, which is essentially his aliens. This movie takes you know, the escalation of Beyond Skyline and is essentially just the natural evolution of that. It's a crazy space opera, space marine action spectacle with a guy in a giant eight-foot alien suit doing kung fu against some of the greatest martial artists in the world. If you haven't seen it yet, get on it immediately because Liam is positioning himself to be one of the great action directors of our era. And so he joined us again for another 90 minutes of just talking craft, James Cameron, and what it takes to make a great action movie on a budget. And now enough from me. Here's Liam O'Donnell and our second part of our conversation discussing his sequel, Skylines. Good. Good, good. How are you doing? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. I'm feeling uh, a little punchy. It's been, yeah. Uh, yeah. Me too. I had uh, four regulars who did the bar and didn't leave until an hour after we closed. So uh, I was pouring drinks for myself for everyone that I poured for them. So I'm probably in about the same headspace that you are. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah, but how was the replacement killers? It was good. I, I, you know what I really liked the most of it was seeing like post seven downtown LA locations. Those really grimy, like buildings that Mira Sorvino's character is in and stuff. That uh, those were all like the music video locations when I first moved to LA, like ten years later. Yeah, and uh, I think they're like kind of all gone now. So that was that was my. My biggest kick of nostalgia. I, I haven't like done the Wikipedia deep dive on that movie, but you know, I saw Wu is obviously an EP. I don't know like what the behind the scenes story is of how that came about, but it's it's uh it's odd, you know, to have just like a complete uh you know pretty much a beat for beat and almost shot for shot John Wu movie not directed by John Wu. Yeah. yeah. And that's Fuqua's first feature? Right. Yeah, like, how did this happen? It's definitely yeah. an oral history I want to read after seeing it. It's interesting because I don't remember. I haven't seen it in years, probably over a decade. And and I don't remember particularly liking it, but finding it kind of interesting and in sort of the same ways that you're talking about. Yeah, it was uh, it was it was really, uh, um, you know, like, oh, John Woo, John Woo, John Woo. <laughs> You're <laughs> just kind of like hitting a, a checklist the whole time. And you're like, why wasn't he the director again? That's all you just... But I guess at 97, he would have been too big for that movie. So I guess that's the answer. Which is, I guess, kind of cool. If he, well, yeah, he probably 
the same year as Face Off, right? Right, right, which is, you know, a much bigger movie. So that that's uh that like I said, that was that was the main thing that I, I kept um thinking about. But it was my wife who recommended it. She wanted I I, I follow um Wu Vember, you know, the Wu Vember, the the Twitter yeah. uh, guy and um and he did uh, the hard boiled uh, you know restaurant shootout and I was like oh, I, f- I feel like watching a John Woo movie and then when I put it in she said let's watch replacement colors I was like oh I've never seen oh it's not him she's like yeah but I, I she didn't feel like watching subtitles so uh, you know I was like all right I, you know I've never seen it and uh, Mira Sorvino I it was kind of underrated I feel like she's got like a, a strange rap but uh, I, I liked her her deliveries in that and it's great seeing young Michael Rooker amazing is that before or after she won the academy award it's after because like she's the reason i think she took it is because she's totally different you know it's not she's not playing like uh you know the 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 ditzy character at all yeah she's a street smart uh document forger in downtown la i love that shit um so how well i guess uh, skylines because we talked we yeah talked, we talked we talked before i was like selling you on it I yeah was like, I, like, I was trying to tell it. you you were but, still finishing it yeah it was kind of and i was like this this is uh i said it was uh i think i said it was effort porn yeah. <laughs> like i really get into just seeing effort in this movie that's my thing um but yeah, yeah. no tell, let's 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 yeah How's the reaction? I know it doesn't come out until a week from today. Yeah. And then, but like you, you screened it, like we, it played at other worlds uh, here at, or is that, that's the name of the festival, right? Here in ATX. Yes. Yeah. Other Um, worlds, other worlds, Austin and, uh, we'll screen, but virtually. So I've, I've never, never really got to see it with a, uh, audience on the big screen. Um, I only saw it with, editors and post supervisors um in london and yeah that that's was kind of, kind of weird part of covid right yeah so i well, kind of, at least got to see it on a on a big screen to sign off on it um but yeah the bummer is um you know just kind of like my festival experience is like checking twitter which is kind of sad uh but again can't really can't really complain at least uh you know people are seeing the movie it's it's got a distributor um so those are movie technically it is it is yeah i mean that was that was the the date last time that i was like oh man you know because i i didn't really understand the day and date um world and i was like wow we're we're getting we're going to be at christmas like the same time as the last jedi and they're like yeah it doesn't matter it's like that's like a, a different restaurant down the street that's much more expensive. <laughs> like, like people still are going to eat at McDonald's. It doesn't matter. Uh, so I was like, oh, okay. Um, and uh, and and it did really well um, during those things just because people, you know, they, they even when they, I think it even helped that uh, Last Jedi was in the theater because it was like people were in a sci-fi mood and uh, sure. they, they rented something afterwards. So. Yeah, it, just to be out during the Christmas. I mean, that's why there's so many movies that that kind of pour out at this time because everyone's home and you're kind of filling time with the family on the couch. I don't know what this says about the movie or me in general, but I've watched your movie more than Last Jedi. 
<laughs> Beyond Skyline? Yeah, I saw your yeah. tweet that you've seen it like five times. Yeah, like, I, I like it. A, like I watch it a lot. It's a we. It's one of those weird ones that I even just put on when I'm like, oh, I don't have it. Like I don't have anything else to watch, and then I'll just like scroll past it on Netflix. And I'm like, what? I could just fast forward to like the end or like just watch part. It's almost like you know when you pick up because we don't have. Uh, I guess for lack of a better term, like TNT or TBS or anything, like just somebody who like grew up who like, you know, you would come in and you would be like 30 minutes into a movie and you'd sit yes. down and you'd like, you know, it's like Shawshank Redemption or I've been whatever. doing that. I've been doing that more um, on because because, yeah, I was like, why do I even have direct TV? I'm not using it. And, yeah. Uh, and and just that. kind of forcing myself to to jump into movies like like you're saying halfway in just to get a vibe of them and then because i feel like i wasn't watching enough movies um because the commitment of getting into something with the streamers and all that and like oh i really i, I need to create some type of ideal environment to uh ingest this in so i've been doing a little bit of what you're saying i realized when everyone was talking about this i was like about you know, I guess the, the all of this this HBO Max and Disney Plus and all the streaming stuff that I was like, all my favorite movies I saw on like either VHS or um, TV38's Movie Loft or uh, TV37's like Saturday matinees on TV. Like uh, I didn't really start seeing my favorite movies that I still are that I still love like in the theater till you know I was like. 11 or 12 like the stuff that i saw early with my parents are not the things that i return to so i was like you know I was, I, I, again i i'm i love the big screen but there is like it did make me it was just a, a nice bit of perspective to make me yeah. relax about stuff that i was like the first time i saw alien was edited on television on a 4-3 television that took all the gore out and so the thing i had the nightmares about was ash spitting up milk I was like, what yeah. the fuck was that? Because there's nothing else in the movie that was anywhere near as, as horrifying and scary. And they, they could just show this guy like spewing milk on the ground. And so that I have weird takeaways from some of those movies. Like, um, you know, it's like the dogs whimpering in the thing was the scariest part because they cut out most of the crazy gore. So just seeing all those dogs freaking out and whimpering, like biting the, you know, the gate was like, whoa, what's going on here? I, I shouldn't be watching this because you're too young and you stumble upon it on TV. Well, it's sort of like that's how uh, Beyond Skyline has is, is become for me to where, like, I'll just leave it paused from, like, the last time I watched it, and then I'll come on and, I'll, like, I can't find anything on Netflix, and I'll be like, oh, all right, and I'll just hit it, and I'll just play it for where, from wherever it is, and I'm still just entertained like i'm oh, like thank hey, you this is this is a ton of fun but it's just the same it's what was reminding me of those types of movies is that it was just kind of like it's become one of those movies i can put on at any time and just hang out with it and be like ah oh, frank grillo sweet that's pretty <laughs> yeah no my wife was watching it tonight it's funny enough she's like i'm getting ready for next week because um she saw much earlier cuts, but she didn't want to watch the finished cut until uh, until we could see it, you know, uh, on the TV together on Friday. 
and um and she was like you know you could have done this better <laughs> like it was like i guess time uh heals wounds she never gave me any any criticism but she started laying on me tonight i was like what what where is this coming from um yeah. she likes the second half better i think she's in she's in the team uh she loves the uh the the asia footage and that got me thinking i'm like well you know it's it it is it was interesting because that's everything that we shot first and it was such it was still like a long shoot it was like a normal movie shoot um because you have more shoot days in indonesia but they're they're slower sure and then um and then we had to break for like for frank to do a whole other movie and then we did all the first half so it it did get me thinking like yeah we kind of limped to the finish on the on some of the that stuff in the first half because it was like you get this like real great energy of like a summer camp thing for when everyone comes to some location, which is what happened for, for Skylines. It was all, everyone's in Lithuania um, for, you know, three, th- I guess four months and you just kind of barrel through it. And by the end, uh, you know, it's like all, it's a great rap party and you say goodbye, but then to like do the rap party, say goodbye, you know, cut half the movie and then be like, okay, now we're, now we're shooting in LA. Now we're shooting in Toronto. It was, uh, it was definitely harder. Uh, that, that was a marathon uh, production, which I think was also part of the like lessons for me to be like, okay, I, I've got to, I've got to figure out a more efficient way to shoot these things. I had so many locations, uh, in the, in the second one, which are great. I'm glad I got them. Cause some of them are like a once in a lifetime opportunity, like, uh, obviously the temples in, in Indonesia, but, um, some of them, I, I kind of realized that I could stitch things better, uh, from that experience and, and have less days and and just be more efficient. Do you remember what movie he broke for? Like, do we? Yeah, yeah. We? Um, it was with. Um, All right, my composer worked on it. My composer worked on it, and it's a famous. It's a Blumhouse movie, and. One? No. What's it called? Not one of the Purge ones, right? No, he did the pur- I think he did the Purge as well. It was but like the third it, one too. It was uh, he did part of it, yeah, because it because like okay, so we we shot from December to February. Then we're in LA and we shot some green screen in LA in February. Then we got like a week with him in March. And then we finished it in May. So it was that like two months there. That's just like, uh, you know, it's a long time. Um, Stephanie, that's the name of the, the one that he he did a whole movie. Okay. In the middle of it. And um, with uh, Akiva, Akiva Goldsman was the director. But I still haven't seen that one. I don't think I've seen that one either. Uh, it, did, it didn't get a like a, a big release, but it, I think it's on DVD. Yeah. Um. But anyway, we're let's talk about skylines a little bit because I listened back uh, to our first conversation and uh, you describe making Beyond Skyline as an odyssey, like, and just in terms of like developing it between Skyline and the sequel and like how long it took and everything, but like. Skylines 
is, I mean, relatively speaking, let's say much quicker. Like it came, it came a lot quicker. And I just wondered like, how did that go? How did, how did we go from movie two to movie three um, that fast, frankly? Um, yeah, it, you know, I think it's, it's interesting it's, I, you know, like each one is, is such a, you know, an education and a learning experience, but it was really because the first one, like, you know, had all this momentum. And then when the reaction came out, it was just kind of like, you know, people, people weren't feeling it. So, um, you know, the, the lines went dead, I guess, for, for two years. So that, that's really the big because yeah. then because then at year three, which would be 2013, I started like being like this movie, it's do or die time. Like we have to I have to write this or we're never getting another one made. And then, you know, within a year of that, we're shooting. So it's really kind of that that's the dead time. But then actually finishing it like it's insane. Like for for Skylines, we started the visual effects, like actually started them. Uh, I would say March, they'd probably say February, but, but I would say March, and we finished in October, which is insane. Because the, the VFX in part two... Of this um, year? Yeah, of this year. Of okay. this year. We locked, we locked the edit in, um, in February. We had our first screening of a cut in December of 2019, and then you know, we screened it for Vertical and, and Highland here in L.A., and we got, um, you know, some notes. It's still very much the same movie. It was just all pacing and little things to underline, ADR, um, stuff like that. And then, uh, and then we we locked it in February in uh, in in London before the lockdown and everything. And then it was like I was back in in LA a week and everything locked down. And so VFX were starting right then, right at the beginning of lockdown in March. And then we finished like. You know, maybe maybe a little behind schedule, but still in October. I mean, considering the pandemic, I think it was uh, it was pretty miraculous because with Beyond Skyline, like editing and the VFX were just it took so long. There was 500 more shots. So it was like, you know, about a third more shots in in the second one because of all the green screen, which was uh, another thing that I just tried to eliminate as much as possible. There's only one green fully green screen set in skylines it's when uh rose is on the catwalk extending out from uh from our other set which is like the prototypical set that we would make like a like a a diorama three-walled set that i could at least shoot kind of three angles of coverage on and um and then the other angle would be the green screen which is you know i I think it's like it's like common sense but (laughs) there is some stuff in uh in beyond skyline of just kind of like uh, dropping me into the into the deep end and having this you know visual effects company behind me that was just like this super confidence like yeah oh, we can we can figure that out we can do everything um, but then even them and once we had it it was just it was just too many shots it was too much to get it done so that one stretched on for this extra year really I mean we finished a version of Beyond Skyline like done in end of 2016 and we screened it. And um, that was where we we did the test screening where they were like, what the hell happens to the little girl? That that was the number one note because Lindsay Morgan wasn't in it. And so um, they were like, this girl is going to die like tomorrow. How is this a happy ending? I was like, good point. Uh, And then we did the 
you, we, you know, we did the wraparounds with Lindsay and, and, and shot that for one day early 2017 and finished the movie pretty early in 2017. But then Vertical's like, we want to release it for Christmas. So you're like, wow, this thing's just, you know, it became about, you know, coming out three years after when we started filming. Well, I guess uh, what what I was more getting at is that, like, you know, when we talked the first time, we talked about, you know, uh, Skyline versus Beyond Skyline. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How, uh, you know, <clears throat> the movie, while, uh, it, and we kind of walked through how it underperformed, let's say, in America, but did very well in Russia and China. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, and like that kind of even uh, despite the critical, let's say, mixed reaction uh, that it took. I think it played better in subtitles. <laughs> I think, oh, well, yeah. I think that from, you had said from because we yeah. we talked about how I even watched it on silent in like a bar and stuff. But like, um, I guess it, it's safe to say that Beyond was a hit in some way, but. That's the thing that I wanted to ask. Yeah, I guess, I guess that is the other answer. Like, that's why, like what you were saying, that that the faster turnaround is that. Um, yeah. 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 I didn't even want to. I, I Well, the thing was, is that and I think I told you about this, that Beyond was supposed to have this big China release. And right. It didn't happen. So I was like, oh, man, like it's, you know, how is this thing ever going to break even? I'm not I'm not writing the script. I had the treatment, but I just didn't think it was ever going to happen. And. And uh, producer Matthew Chaus was the one who was like, you have to do it. It's it just give, give me the opportunity to make it I'm like. All right. So, I'm, you know, I, that, that was that was 2018. And then uh, the brothers wanted to come back to direct it. They wanted to do like a, a bigger version. And uh, that ended up not working out. So then it was uh, it was kind of like, well, where could we make this that that would make sense for a budget? Because I just felt like at this point. Um, that it was going to be made at a really compromised budget. Um, and then Matthew ma- managed to figure out doing this UK co-production and then filming in Lithuania. And we're like, oh, this is actually going to maybe turn out to be like awesome. <laughs> so that, that was sort of a turning point in uh, early 2019 and um, started, you know, amassing this team that was really exciting. Um, Alain Duplantier, like I'm not Mr. French cinema. I haven't seen a ton, uh, but, but I, the fact that like the, the one really French action film that I had seen in the past couple of years was the original Point Blank and I really liked it. And that guy was available and wanted to do it. So I went on his website and it was all these just amazing um, portraits of like of people's faces and they were all so good. And that that was like, oh, he's he's the guy because I felt like I don't know if we talked about this last time, but that was just something I really wanted to do more of close ups and, and more faces and, and more tighter shots on uh, and, and more reaction shots. And so, um, yeah, that that was like a, a real point of focus for me uh, working with him. And, and he was uh, just I mean, it was fantastic. The setup that we had, too, in these stages where we had these these sky panels that could change the coloring lights and change the position of the sun on the alien surface, you know, depending on the setup really, really quickly with a a fairly small crew. But yeah, the production design team like was from Belgium. And then we got, of course, uh, real deal stunts out of Berlin, which uh, the nobody trailer came out this week. And 
Yeah, like, I was, was, I was like, was hey, go ahead. meet these guys. Go meet these guys. Uh, they're in Berlin because we were in Belgium working on prep. And I was like, go, go meet John and and Daniel's there too because I I'd, I'd already seen, I'd already wanted Daniel for Owens. So we hop on a train to Berlin and uh, we go to their like stunt hangar, and they're filming there with like Bob Odenkirk. It was like, whoa, um, is it? He he kind of reminded me of my uncle uh, Lawrence O'Donnell. There's that like super smart, funny thing about people where they like they kind of um. They kind of suck air out of the room and you're like lean in and you just want to hear whatever he says. And then you try to like fight your own adrenaline to laugh like an idiot, even if he doesn't say something funny. <laughs> Do you know that experience? Yeah. <laughs> he was like, yeah, it's amazing I can do this after 30 years in a writing room. And I'm like, ah! like it wasn't even a joke, but I, I just wanted to let him know. <laughs> that I respected his uh, comedic prowess. And I was like, I'm just going to stand over here in the corner and, and not make a fool of myself. Um, but they, yeah, they were just filming like a proof of concept because apparently the first version of that movie didn't happen. And he was in such great shape that he wanted to, you know, see, if, see, see what he had, you know, use this, the, this stuff that he'd been training for so long for. Um, so I was like, uh, just respected the hell out of that and uh, and got to watch them work and was like, okay, this is, again, this this is turning out to be like above my expectations. I, I was felt like, you know, going in that maybe this is going to be a compromised, um, you know, just barely making it work. And all of a sudden it's, it seems like it's keeps getting better and better. And so that, that was really the whole like first half of 2019. And then that continued on to like, um, Colin Jones was our UK casting agent, you know, being a, a UK co-production, like really helped us with the casting and setting it in London, which originally it was, it was written for LA. So now it's L, it's London. It, I think that just, I think it helped the movie obviously in a lot of ways, but it just also like getting these amazing British actors to set up, you know, my sci-fi gobbledygook in the first act. It's like, you know, well, you can't really ask for better actors than James Cosmo, Alexander Siddig, and, and Rona Mitra, like, grounding this movie that has, like, no business existing in, like, a very, like, <laughs> you know, like, relatable stake. So that's what that's what I look back at it. I'm just like, wow, I, I can't believe that that kind of came together like it did. It's It's weird because, like, as much as Skylines feels connected to your last movie, it does have a to have not a totally different vibe, but a different vibe. It's then pretty different. I agree. It's like, you know, like, yeah, you can watch them back to back and I think you'll get the energy, but like it, it's, it's definitely feels like there's a, there, there could be a movie in between them without a yeah. doubt. Well, and that was one of the questions that I also had for you is that like, you kind of have this almost uh, road warrior style like recap um, that, and forgive me for getting the actor's name who recites it, uh, but it's, he, it's, it's Cosmo. It's James yeah. Cosmo. The, uh, yeah. From Game of Thrones. Game of Thrones. Uh, yeah, exactly. But he, he's totally doing the, the road warrior uh, like he lives on in our memories thing, but for Rose, but it's a recap of, um, you know, kind of where we are now in this universe. 
but it made me wonder watching because I've watched it twice now. It made me wonder watching it the second time is how important it was for you for these movies to almost like they exist as sequels and in this universe and continuing the storyline. But they kind of also operate on their own terms and work as standalone movies. And I, I wondered if that was important to you. Yeah, I mean, I think that is it's funny i mean road warrior is is the prototypical example and i I think terminator 2 obviously is is the other one that does a great job of that of just being like if you see that that one first (laughs) the movie fucking works obviously i mean they're they're masterpieces but like um from a modeling standpoint as a mere mortal trying to make something in the in those movie shadows then like yeah that's what you should model it after um and so that was even that was even in the pitch for Beyond Skyline is that like oh, I just wanted to that the the real reason to start at the invasion of that one is I felt like the end of part one was such a weird ending and that to like start there and take it for granted that people were gonna know what the hell was going on felt like a, a mistake and that was even before the movie came out it was like oh no 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 we're gonna start. We, we've, we've had such a narrow POV, we're, we're going to get down into the streets. And so for this one, it was like, okay, well, we, we, we ended on this crazy, big, triumphant moment on, on two. And, I, and, and that inspired this whole other story in my head. But um, like just setting down and putting to paper, because these movies are, you know, a lot of the questions I've been getting is like, did you intend for this to be a trilogy? And I, I usually just laugh because obviously not. So a lot of the, the putting the pen to paper on part three was like, okay, like how do you even explain Rose and what her powers are and this whole story? Like we just have to get it out. And that was kind of me, you know, doing, you know, putting the, putting that uh, hang a lantern on a thing for him to just say after there, it gets complicated and even in my reading, that was like kind of more of a winking joke. But James, you know, does it very, very seriously, which works as well, too. But that the meta point for me is that it's like just acknowledging like, yeah, this is overly complicated. I'm going to try to, you know, streamline it for you, you know, just go with it and and you'll get to the the, the gist of what the story is. Um, so, yeah, that that it, it is always kind of um, and, and that's that's the challenge of what I'm working on right now. Uh, not to jump ahead, but um, trying to keep that um, each each adventure working on its own, because um, I think I take just take a longer view of these movies now, having done it for the the first ones ten years ago. Like that, they 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 live longer than you expect, and uh, and people see them at different times. And I think it's uh, it's to to its advantage when you're making an indie sci-fi like this that that each one work on its own. Yeah, what's weird about it too, watching it is the thing I've I've noticed both times watching it is that you, as you just said with the whole trilogy question that you've been getting, like clearly, like nobody thought this was going to be a trilogy yeah. or whatever. But at the same time, while you're developing this, this is weirdly a perfect film to watch during the pandemic, uh, because of its plotting, uh, um. And like it's it's kind of main goal and everything. And like I just wondered if that like obviously you didn't intend it. Nobody knew that this was yeah. going to happen. But like yeah. watching it now, you're like, holy shit, this movie's gonna come out at Christmas during a pandemic and it's about basically racing for a cure. 
Yeah, no, that, I mean, it, and people have been trying to like make me tie that in, in in some way, and I'm like, I just can't really. It, I, it, I, 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 I'm. It's weird because I just don't feel like it's relevant at all. But at the same time, it's no feels. In it. Yeah, like, there's no intent to it, but at the same time, like, um, I guess that is. It it, it was like you know, how do you? We needed we needed these huge stakes to uh, to force such a, a crazy mission, and that was actually one of the things that I took out of this from the script to the edit was that Rose was like right away like Are you out of your fucking mind when she when he told him her the mission, and she was just constantly like This is absolutely absurd and ridiculous and gave all these you know what I thought were smart reasons, but then I was like Well you know it, it was for me to trying to almost like you know, feeling insecure about my story that I was letting her voice all of my objections to things and poking holes at stuff. And uh, I realized I just took like, you know, 75% of that stuff out that the audience is just going to take for granted. It's like the movie opens with humans flying ships. Why, why would anyone have any like issues with the fact that we can now warp across the universe that it, it's, it's within the universe, all that stuff works. So, um, but yeah, so th- that, that stuff, I, I think it's the perfect movie to watch in the pandemic just because of really like the escapism of it and the 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 kind of joy uh, which I hope people get you know for that for that back half and, like that last reel to me is is yeah. uh, is like it was just one of those movies when I was making it I would want to watch movies like it and there just isn't a lot you know recently that is like it and especially this year when when you know, not not like it's a blockbuster, but there were no there were no big action movies, you know, really out um, that had a lot of VFX and stuff. There was there was some smaller, more contained stuff, but um, yeah, there wasn't there wasn't anything that was obviously this particular blend, which um, is always, I guess, a good feeling. No, I I was thinking that too, rewatching it today too, is that it was like, you know, you're gonna have Wonder Woman. Christmas, thanks to the HBO Max. I know, I know. I almost had it. I almost had Christmas to our to ourselves, and that was like like what a few weeks ago. I was like, eh, but again, it's just totally different uh, lanes uh, uh, on yeah. the highway. No one, yeah. Well, that's sort of where I was going with it. Is that it was like this is still, I don't know. You make movies that are you know premiering for most people at home. Let's say. But like we you watch them and they you're mad that you can't see them on the big screen just because of the amount of ambition that's going on. Yeah, oh, well, thanks, man. I mean, I, I do I, I do really want to see this on the on either a drive in or some type of big screen. Um, I would love to see some of that stuff with an audience. But I did also like it, it was it was a little bit of a, a drive because, you know, my dp was was alan was doing the um the coloring with us so he would be like on his on a zoom but he had a you know a, a good monitor because he was in paris while we were in london and uh it, it was kind of one of those notes it's like hey man you know most people are going to see this on a fucking ipad right like we can't go that murky i'm sorry <laughs> so, yeah. like, the dp has always want to be a little bit more murky a little bit more dark and and uh, I guess I'm, I've become less precious about some of that stuff. I'm like, I just don't, I, I I want the picture to be like unfuckwithable because um, 
I guess the first experience of on a movie that I worked on was AVPR, and I just remember, you know, the 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 the, the DI, you know, situation with that and going too dark, and it's like in a pristine projected setting, it it looked like okay, yeah, I see what you guys were going for, but it didn't translate to to the rest of the stuff. So I kind of always wanted to be a little bit uh, a little bit more dialed in than than necessary because that's uh, again like in 10 years what are what are people going to watch movies on it's it's sometimes depressing to think about it but it's it's kind of reality sure it's all going to be vr headsets <laughs> yeah like you know it's like my my kids you know we have uh, amazon fire tablets that we get on black friday and that's what they watch a lot of shit on so it's like <laughs> I, I I can kind of see it coming in some ways. It's like it's got to look good on an Amazon Fire. <laughs> but I do I do miss uh, I do really wish I could see this on the big screen. Just I think just for that that was the that was my favorite part of Beyond Skyland was was going um, to all the different festivals and uh, just going to every screening. I like I wouldn't take a single screening off that I could go to, and I would ob- obviously bring three to four beers per screening. Because um, it's that kind of movie, uh, yeah. but it's just uh, it was so much fun. It was like uh, I felt like that that was another part of of uh, the education uh, going into to part three was trying to build some more of those uh, interactive moments in uh, at least you know a little bit more dialed in um, in those places. So yeah, no, I, I definitely I, I I'm just looking forward to people getting to see it and. Um, and hopefully it's kind of like you're saying, being that kind of like the you know, perfect pandemic movie, because it is pretty uh, ambitious escapism. Yeah. And I mean, like you bring up uh, Cameron, like we talked about him last time and like even talking about like Schwarzenegger and stuff with like Frank Grillo. And um, like this one is clearly. I mean, <laughs> I know it, yeah. yeah, it's in there. But the other movie I kept thinking about while watching it was A New Hope, in terms of the resistance and going up against this this uh, horrible like killing machine and and the kind of like taking a last stand. And that was the other movie I talked about. But then there's also a direct reference in it, which is one of it's the goofiest part of the movie, which I have to be admit to you, I can't figure out on two viewings if I think it works or not, but I still, it amuses me, so I ultimately come down on the side of it works. But the big reference, um, when the uh, Rose and the, the, the one soldier are having the discussion, and he describes the movie big, and I'm like, all right, like this is clearly operating on like a whole like. Well, I watched all these movies and now this is the thing I'm doing. But like, it's funny you say that because like, um, yeah, it's like he's like this is a lot like Aliens. Like, hey, have you noticed that our like our <laughs> this whole adventure is feels very Cameron esque. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it was it it was definitely a choice, uh, and it was just trying to. Again, like, how do you relate what she is to the audience? And I actually had an argument about this with my um, my friend. Is he's a screenwriting professor? Uh, he was at USC. Now he's in North Carolina, and he he gave notes on the script. And there's a scene where the general, before that, like, recaps what her powers are, 
And he yeah. was like, he was like, you don't need that. Uh, everyone knows. And I was like, I- I'm going to tell you that I, I'm fucking, I'm sure as hell going to shoot it. And if I don't need it in the edit, great. But, uh, you know, I've just done too many movies where the whole first act, you just have to pump in all this ADR. And I still had to pump in ADR in this one because all the things you think you're so smart about in your script and in your edit, like the basic information, and it, it kind of needs to be said like three times. Especially when it's something weird, like her, um, and like what her whole origin is. So um, that was that, the big, big, the big line. <laughs> That's funny, yeah. The big line is like that. Um, but it was that, and then that scene, of course, is like the whole basis of the trailer, where he's like saying what her powers are, and it's all, you know, completely necessary for the marketing and to kind of remind everybody what she does. So I won that argument, but um, but yeah, that. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't. I, I guess I have nothing else about the big thing, but I think it's funny that you pointed out. But I, I wondered the, the, the other thing that I wondered just while watching it was like, how do you find like a balance between like referencing these things that obviously, as you even say, like help define what you're essentially watching for the audience, and then metabolizing them into what the movie is into essentially like your own thing like is that a tricky balance to strike or like yeah it's i feel like it's always a tricky balance to strike and it's always like um trying to lean into what is different about the story and i feel like what we we do on this one is that you're obviously you know very much leaning into like you said the it's it's already kind of a, a Cameron amalgamation because she's like part John Connor, part Sarah Connor, part Ripley, um, part like, um, you know, what, what was the the Jessica Alba show? Um, for, you know, they, Dark a, Angel. Yeah, like part Battle of Lita. Like it's the part, there's definitely like um, that aesthetically in, from a character standpoint that was like in it. it it was all inspirations, but at the same time, it was like obviously from a, my writing directing standpoint, like I just knew that that was also what Lindsay was good at. Like, I feel like Lindsay like is just a prototypical James Cameron, like actor in a, in a, in a cool way. So what, it was even when she first came out in the wardrobe, like in the tank top um, with the, with her new hair, when we we're about to film that scene, I was just like, you just feel like you just came out of like a James Cameron machine. Uh, and it, 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 I geeked out about that. But um, I think it was it was like, OK, th- that's all inspiration. But but what makes the story different and what do you lean in on is is obviously the, the skyline of it all. And uh, and the fact that this was a, you know, kind of a even even the marketing is is misleading. You know, it's like vengeance is on the horizon and you know we're gonna go after them but like it's led by aliens you know like our expedition is led by aliens she's a hybrid her brother's a hybrid um so it's got more of a nuance than the kind of um than some of the references in a weird way and and the nuance and the the strangeness is kind of what i lean into um to to set it apart and really kind of setting the whole narrative on her shoulders and the fact that she's um you know wrestling with this whole duality and uh i see so, so when you said like goofy part and the stuff i i thought you were getting into the to the matriarch stuff because 
um, you know, that's just the weirdest part of the movie. Um, yeah. Know, in, in the second half. But uh, I really love it. But it, it's like, you know, it was even just from um, like a coverage standpoint. I was uh, I just remember going along and like, you know, like, like, let's get some diopter shots today. Like, let's do some let's do let's let's take some time here and really, you know, visually set this apart from everything else we've been doing um, with just these like, you know, taking our time to get all these weird close ups of our hands and our eyeballs Um and uh, and and the fist and and you know when she kind of finally comes to and and and, and is brought back from the from the the brink. Um, so, th- but that was all really really fun and rewarding to to do and then actually have it kind of work in the edit emotionally. Even if it's like it's not so much about logic at that point. It, I feel like it all emotionally works if that makes sense. Well, no, it totally does. That was actually one of my questions. Is um like how you do create these awesome like emotional beats that are essentially between a lady playing a half human half alien hybrid superhuman thing and then a dude in a giant alien suit and like i just wondered that again seems like something that's tricky to pull off (laughs) (laughs) it's very tricky it's very tricky like it, it honestly it reminded me a lot of um Guillermo del Toro like watching stuff like Hellboy in specific, specific is that like watching yeah you know I could see the Hellboy thing now that you say it I mean when you said Guillermo del Toro I was like what no, no one's it, it, able to compare it, me but <laughs> like, I forgot a yeah. dude in, who you know once played Beauty and the Beast and is goo- like Ron Perlman looks the way Ron Perlman looks in real life. And then you put him in Hellboy makeup and you're like, Oh, okay. And then, you know, you pair him off with, you know, a lady who can start fires with her mind. He's in love with her. And then a gill man and then everything. But the thing that makes the Hellboy movies and the comics too. So interesting is that like you're invested in their relationships and you get invested in Rose and her uh, brother's relationships and stuff too, and like her relationships with the crew. And it's just how, I guess, how did you establish or how did you work on establishing essentially a emotional bond with a man in a giant alien suit? Yeah. Um, well, that one super awesome to hear. And, and I am, I'm, I'm, I have a feeling you're probably more balanced than me, but like, yeah, the, the, the Guillermo movies I've seen the most are definitely Blade Two and the two Hellboys. I love all of his movies, but those are, that's the mode of his that, um, like you said, I could watch Blade Two like at any point. And, yeah. uh, if it's on TV and, and it's, it's, it's so much fun. Um, but you know, I, 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 that was those those scenes were tricky it was like even writing them i would write trent as a character and then i was deleting his lines and making it like her kind of interacting with him and that's how we shot it and okay. um and i remember even giving her because we did that first scene first you know her when she reunites with trent and i gave her the lines with the dialogue in it and she was like no i that that what that was too tricky in a way she was like i just want mine we'll just do that and uh we kept working on it a lot because one of the bigger like script notes that i got in an earlier version when i wasn't going to direct was like add 
conflict between Trent and Rose and have them be like kind of fighting the whole movie. And I really didn't like it. It like worked on the page, but um, and uh, it was one of those things when we were in rehearsals with Lindsay, I was just like, and then, you know, I'm back kind of directing. I was like, I, it, it, had, it had been like a holdover in the script because people liked the script. So then you get a kind of like, oh, should I change it? Everyone seems to be liking this. Um, and it made sense that they had conflict because she left and she kind of left him behind. Like, so mm. it was, it wasn't like completely illogical, but I just felt like we had a dinner with like Lindsay and Matthew, the producer and Lindsay's friend, um, Renee Lovett, who was there helping her. And we were just talking like, we need someone who's going to like love her and it's got to be Trent. And so that was one of those things that I kept was adjusting on, on the fly in the thing and, and kind of changed that first scene to them so that we got the conflict kind of over with and we brought them together by the end of it. And it's really a tribute to her. Like she came in the first day, the first thing we shot was the green screen um, battle for the opening. And we were just talking about eye lines because obviously it's a fucking green screen. It's a nightmare. Oh, that was the second green screen set, I guess. I said only one. So that was there was two green screen sets. But we did have a console, at least on this one. But it was like eyelines talking where what we were going to do in this space. And, and uh, you know, the camera's very close to our face. And I just remember saying, I, I need to look at my brother right now. And I was like, oh, cool. <laughs> she, just called, she just called him her brother. And, like, she's crying. I was like, oh, this is... This is this is real. Um, so yeah, again, I just I, I would try to give um, as much credit to her as possible. But it was, I'd say, the thing that 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 I keyed in on is that um, that they needed they needed to, to have an affection for one another, one another, and you always had to feel that like in every scene. Um, so we really brought the like brother sistering kind of bickering stuff. Um, a little bit of sappiness, but then even at the end, that was a Lindsay, you know, that she brought to the, a joke to it. Like, why are they always wet? Like, you have to acknowledge the fact that, yes, he's holding her hand, but like she, he's got these big slimy mitts. Um, so that 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 was like a perfect thing when when an actor brings you something like that, like even a nice little button to the to the scene. Um, it was almost like the opposite with her of like. Um, I, I would I would almost be pushing back of like you're showing too much emotion in some of the scenes. So that was more like I, I never had to worry about her, um, you know, showing that she she had affection for Trent and uh, Jeremy Fitzgerald, who's our our Trent suit actor extraordinaire, who's just a, like a really great physical actor, which I'm kind of stoked because I'm doing these character posters for the movie. And like I, I got one for him. Like I got like you know you never see just like a suit actor with like Jeremy Fitzgerald and his character on like a character poster. So I sent it to him today, and he's just like, "Fuck, dude!" Like I, you know, it was a great feeling to to kind of give that to him. But he's 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 definitely responsible uh, for some of that uh, some of that magic. And then the third person I would bring up would be Justin Martinez, who's an incredible visual effects artist and filmmaker in his own right. He was part of the original Radio Silence. He did all of the eye shots in the movie. So he, he kind of, um, you know, he, I showed him Beyond Skyline as the reference, but I feel like he brought a lot more emotion to the pilot characters in this one. And I think having one artist do the ball was, uh, was such a great benefit 
because uh you know we're not not only they're all consistent but like you know, he, we talked about it. like he 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 really studies Disney eyes and puts in the Disney eyes hotspots, the Pixar hotspots within each eye. And I'd be like, you know, uh, Trent's trying to connect with her here. So bring the irises open. We'll go as big as possible. And, uh, you know, when they're angry or fighting, you know, we 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 narrow them down and we flare them out. So it's a, it's a little bit of a little bit of a little bit of everything for those. But um yeah, no, the the very very end, I was kind of like doing Trent's uh, lines for Lindsay off screen, and uh, I I kind of felt like oh like Trent is the character I most identify with in this movie. He's kind of like the the meathead big brother <laughs> of this movie, um, and uh, who's kind of always kind of calling out and 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 being sarcastic about shit, but he's got the biggest heart of everybody. And so I was like, oh, that and I, I had the same uh, acknowledgement in the second one because I was like I was imagining myself as an older dad um, as Mark. And I thought I was writing the, the thing through Mark. But I realized once you're working with, when I when I was working with Frank, I was like, oh, no, no I'm st- I'm still much more of a Trent. I'm not old yet. Like uh, in, in my, uh, it, I'm, I'm not in that cantankerous place yet. I'm, I'm still very much like the Trent and I'm, I'm dealing with uh mark like that that's who i am so yeah that 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 was the other uh you know both movies is the same revelation that uh i'm i'm still the punk kid all right (laughs) that was a long rambling answer sorry at least that's at least you're honest about it though you're still the punk in the end (laughs) yeah still the punk kid and uh but you know that that was definitely um that was that was one of those again like great days. Uh, the, obviously the first day when she said that, then the day in the room when she's doing the scene with her, it's like a Jim Henson scene. You know, you're like sitting there and you're like, oh wow, she's like bringing this guy to life right now. That's always a kind of a great feeling. And then at the end when when we were doing um, the the kind of the, the we'll call it the, the the wormhole wall in the ship sequence, you know, it was just getting like chills and getting emotional filming it so i was like ah, you know i just really hope that i can have the visual effects actually you know support her performance because i felt like it was it was so good so it was like and uh and man that that shit was really really hard and uh lip sync did a great job i mean some of the 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 matriarch stuff there where she's hanging on to everybody and stuff like that's all fully digital and it, it's it's got a nice tactile look I really like the matriarch in general, like as a, as an effect, both the in-camera suit, um, the performance and the visual effects. I think it's the best overall creature in any of the movies, like uh, seamless wise. Like I think, I think everybody did an amazing job there. Well, I think that's something that makes your movies interesting in general is the fact that like, obviously they're products of like, uh, let's say you know necessity being the mother of all invention because mm-hmm. uh, you're 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 working on a tight budget and um, <clears throat> locations and and special effects and everything but you blend digital with like old school not quite analog effects but like you know pretty analog yeah i know yeah. i know what you mean yeah i mean even the even the spaceship interiors, you know, once she comes into the to the new um, ship in 
I, I keep referring it to the reels, but it's the second reel. So it's like still in the first act. She comes into the new ship that's all been retrofitted because I didn't want to do green screen for all the sets. Um, so, you know, we built this corridor and we built the armory and then the bridge was in a separate location. But we we, 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 we pull up to the studio where they just filmed Chernobyl. And uh, and so they had all the tents for the tent village. You know, I had tent village written in it, but they're like, yeah, we found like all these cargo tents from Chernobyl. I'm like, perfect. Or sorry, like canvas tents. Perfect. Love it. Let's let's you know, we're sure we can use these. This is legal. Yep. Great. OK. Uh, and then they're like, we have all this like Soviet like reactor gack, like bullshit down in the basement and um, just surveyed it all. I was like throw it in the ship <laughs> so like again like you know like it, it, otherwise it would have been and i love that it just looks so weird you know it, it looks almost like uh you know like it like a, it, a 90s movie like a weird retro futurism because all the weird shit in the bridge and in the sub deck it's all got these like flips and switches and buttons and all the that type of stuff that you would have made in in 1986 uh, or whatever um you know, that, that show was set. So, uh, and then we kind of, you know, we add holograms to it, we shaped it and we, we do our own thing, but it was a lot of, like you're saying, like found materials. You gotta, you gotta make the most of what you got. Yeah. It's this weird, um, point to where like, you know, it's not quite Charles band. It's not quite (laughs) next generation, but like, it is sort of like mid nineties dimension films. You know, I, worked with a guy from charles band is fred kenimer who was the first ad who had worked in, in charles band so I, I got some of those those war stories and then you know i got to know alec gillis from amalgamated dynamics who you know obviously worked on the corman movies so uh yeah i mean it's very much in that in that tradition and it's kind of like um you know even galaxy of terror was one of the ones that like you know the doors of our spaceship are 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 kind of uh, based on that design because it's a pretty cool ship in that movie. Um, kind of amazing stuff that they did back I, then. I think it's funny because like we're we're talking about Charles Band now, and I talked to Robert Harmon, who you know directed The Hitcher uh, mm-hmm. a weeks ago, and he started his career as a set photographer on like tourist trap and some early band productions and then uh, some uh tom d simone movies like hell night and stuff and like i was talking to him about him like oh yeah you're on this you're on this and he was like oh okay do people like those movies and i was like <laughs> like <laughs> he's like oh man okay <laughs> like <laughs> hanging out on sets that i like of movies that i like regular regularly revisit and he's like oh and he seemed just baffled by the the notion of like oh people still watch that that's weird (laughs) i could see it yeah it's it's amazing but yeah i I do think um when i it's part of like going back into what with this movie about like the from a writing standpoint and stuff is that like you can't you can't pull this movie off if you're trying to write it like they in they do modern you know sci-fi blockbusters you have to kind of go back and model it after stuff you know made in from like 1981 to 1991 that 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 and that 
that goes even to like editing it. Like you can't just do a million cuts of the tanker floating through space. It's like very deliberate shot for for the very you know meat of the story that you would need back then because of how much of a pain in the ass visual effects were. Um, so that that kind of was you know kind of in the DNA of like uh, I, I'm I'm setting myself up. I'm I'm backing myself into this corner. The only way to get out and 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 make the movie that I want to make uh, is is to do it, you know, in this older tradition. And it's like I, I kind of prided myself on like I feel like all all movies EPKs are always like, and we did this thing that's never been done before. And I'm like, well, we did <laughs> we did this shit that's worked like a lot for 30 years. Like that was like when I tried to do tried to do as many things that had worked before. And 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 uh, and you know. That, that could work for us. Like even the, um, the CG creatures in this one are all guys in, in leotards, all these, all stuntmen in, in leotards with tracking markers on them. They're all from, you know, parkour and martial artist guys that would be running at the cast and, and fighting them and jumping on them and interacting with them the whole time. And it's not uh, mocap or, or any of this stuff. It's like, you just basically use the, the reference in the animation and you can make it better you can make the hits a little closer and stuff like that but for the most part we kind of used everything in camera yeah but here's here's the only place where i would disagree with you though is like yeah you're doing them uh, you're making movies in a mold of things that we've seen before obviously with like cameron and stuff and like stuff that we grew up with because like you and i talk about you know guys like tony scott and stuff online uh, mm-hmm. that we both really love. However, the one place I would disagree with you on and that I think sets your movies apart is that, yeah, you're making movies in, in this mold of these guys that came before you, but you're utilizing... Um, state of the art isn't the... Yeah, uh, but, you know, yeah, you, utilizing... You're, you're, you're utilizing um, these guys, these performers on screen who are pushing martial arts and action filmmaking forward in a way that they hadn't even in that time period by like in this movie, you know, you include, you include, uh, Daniel Bernhardt who you talked about before, who, you know, was the fight. He's the fight choreographer on nobody. Right. Um, he, yeah, I, I don't, I know it was, it was 87, 11 North, but, um, he, he like trained with uh with Bob for for like two like, years, you know. He like brought him in there and and he was kind of the his point man. And he, you know, we were just talking um the night before the Nobody trailer came out, which I was just I was on the phone with Daniel for for a bit, kind of, you know, because the actors are on this movie in the summer of 2019, and so they all want like a refresher course before they start doing press. And so he was doing press the night before, so I'm like. Oh, remember this? And kind of, you know, we're, we're reminiscing and and going over stuff. And he was like, just kind of gushing about uh, nobody was the trailers coming out the next day and how he trained with him for two years and how Bob, what great shape Bob was in and everything. And it just was like, yeah, it's just a, that that that's super exciting to me that um, to see uh, you know actors that are kind of you know he he wanted this in a way that. Um, some some of these people that are like oh they look at Keanu Reeves' success and they're just like well I can do that and no. I and, and I think that bothers me and and it, I think it bothers you too because I feel like we have uh, there's just certain people underestimate Keanu and it's like 
one is the commitment, obviously. Then there's the meta like affection of this guy for like 30 years. Um, so yeah, so it, 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 I, I think he was very smart in one going to the source with uh, Derek Kolstad and developing the script with the writer of John Wick and then kind of bringing all those guys in. So when people are like, hey, this looks like John Wick, it's like, yeah, it's from all the guys who made John Wick. They're they're kind of everyone else is ripping them off. <laughs> they should do their own version with, uh, you know, with this dedicated, comedic, dramatic actor. And, and uh, I think it'll be I don't know. I think it'll be something special. Yeah, but the, you're bringing these guys in to help you make these man in suit alien movies, too. But that, yeah. that's sort of what makes your but that's kind of what I'm getting at is that that's what makes the movies interesting is that like, you know, in beyond you have the raid guys who like are get to basically be showcased completely in this one. You bring back uh, Yayan uh, to have his awesome like just full on District Nine meets the raid th- like throat rip massacre. I wish we had more of it too. We filmed a little bit more, um, but like every, you know, every single shot is um, is a VFX. It was the same like in the in the cavern scene where when they get ambushed by the shadows, we had so much more. But it was like I just knew the runtime on this was was longer than I, I ever expected anyway. So it was it was always a, a lot of pressure to kind of keep everything as as tightly paced as possible. Which is funny because I had so much pressure to tightly pace the movie. And then like the end credits and the, the end scrawl is like 10 minutes long. I don't know if you noticed that. I was like, what, 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 what happened here? <laughs> it's a really long, it's a really long, like the scrawl itself is kind of slow. It should be like two minutes shorter. Uh, but um, yeah, so, but no, I appreciate that. I mean, I do think, yeah, it was like you have this gift from the movie gods. We're like, I was going in to be on Skyline. Like, this is a kitchen sink movie. I'm going to throw everything I've got at this thing. Uh, I want to make something super propulsive and basically try my hand at everything that I can. And that was before Eco and Yayan got involved. And then it was like, oh, my God, I, I got a gift from the movie gods. I'd be stupid to not add them in and do as much as possible with them while they were there. Like even like if Yaya, if Eco was there for another day, I would have filmed another fight with him. Uh, they like had to tend to like tear him out of set because he had to go uh, work on a, on another movie. So I was like, um, uh, you know, obviously I wanted to keep that flavor going in uh, in Skylines, but at the same time, what I felt was was the right thing to do was not to make Beyond Skyline two and to you know add in new, you know, obviously a new genre. It's like it's a lot of world building and then it's a big adventure you know mission to an alien planet movie have a new type of alien that gives us a different type of combat with the aliens and um and then kind of you know have new types of heroes with which what yayan kind of fit into and rose and her evolution fit into so that the the combat can keep evolving and um that was kind of like i just wanted a lot of variety in the action scenes too because i knew you know you don't have the the time to do these really intricate set pieces except in a few places you kind of really have to pick your spots you know it's like a 35 day schedule with nine second unit days and two splinter unit days which meant like the main unit went on location to a place and shot for like six hours um 
So that's a lot for an actor. It's not. A, it's a lot for like a, any other type of movie, but for a movie with this much action and this little amount of prep, uh, you know, like about a month of prep, which is really what I'm like trying to get more on in the next thing. It's like I just want more of that time to to really prep, and I would love to have like actual squibs, actual blood squibs, and not digital blood squibs, but. That there is that freedom of of being able to run and gun and and be like okay Rona like the the aliens are all around you let's go and we you know we do a steady cam roving all around her and uh, and she just kind of went commando and we just covered the hell out of it and it's like okay we're gonna digitally put these in every single place where we need them to be because um, that that so that that's how like that type of scene was done kind of by the seat of our pants. And then the other ones, it's like we have a very elaborate choreography with two fighters going, you know, full speed. Um, so it's a little bit of a mix of, of everything when you're in such a tight schedule. But, um, yeah, I, I'm super happy with how it came out. Uh, you should be. And but that you kind of led directly into my next question, too, is that um, how do you elaborately choreograph? a martial arts scene with a dude in a giant alien suit. You know, it's <laughs> funny too, because, um, it was, I definitely would give credit to Jeremy Fitzgerald too, because he's a really good, um, you know, stunt performer on his own right. And in beyond skyline, he was the overall stunt supervisor of the movie. So, sure. Even though the raid guys were choreographing the stuff, Jeremy was working with them collaboratively and really coming up with the language of what looks good with the suit. And so that would be some of the the stuff that like um, that would be the interesting conversations. That like we'd be like, no, no, you can't really do this. Um, but the real deal guys, they're they're more fearless. They'd be like, no, no have him block and like hook under her shoulder, and we're like, okay. <laughs> you know, like you're, you got to understand, like the hands on Jeremy's suit are like just mush. They're like sponges. So anytime you're seeing it where it looks like he's actually gripping something is like uh, a modern miracle because we're we're generally not um, CGing those hands either because it's really hard to do that. So uh, it's either like a digital version of him that's coming up and snatching something, or it's um, it's all kind of you know, just, uh, I guess, uh, bullshit and trickery that we're trying to make it look like these hands can really uh, have some type of weight to them. Same as Yayan's. I mean, that was when he first walked on set. <laughs> the proportions and how he was going to hold them was a, was a long discussion. It's all about, like, how you, you really, like, pull your arms up and push your chest out to make these super long arms palatable visually. Um, but, yeah, so, so Jeremy is really really good at it and he taught um the lithuanian guys and the real deal stunt guys would kind of go through and they'll film you know like a, a stunt previs uh we'll talk about the style like you know rose versus trent this is sort of like our our star wars bite um this is like our version of lightsabers with these power claws and then um you know we'll see what they do we'll come back with notes We'll get there on set, and that was actually one of the days where I was able to go to the second unit and 
I'm really glad I did because we did that that kind of big dolly that was wide back on the set. Um, and I knew that it was just like there's so much intricate kind of um, fighting here. And we could do this with uh, Lindsay's stunt double and just do a fully CG trench. And so that kind of was became a really nice shot, um, kind of roving behind the console and, and getting a nice kind of wonder in the middle of that uh, combat. But yeah, no, they, they, it, it's, it's kind of, if you don't hire a really, really great stunt and, and action design and choreography team, then there's just no way in hell either of these movies would, would work uh, on, on that level. So as much as, um, you know, my name's uh, on, on as the director, it's like, you know, it's just like anything else. Like you can't, you gotta, you gotta hire great actors, you gotta hire great crew and, and you gotta work with great visual effects artists and, or else it's just going to have your name on it. And it's not going to be very good. <laughs> no, that's fair. I mean, that's fair. I mean, it's the ultimate like film is the, the collaborative art. Yeah. Right? I, I actually feel like the art of what I'm doing on these is like finding this except like it's, it's finding these acceptable compromises and like solutions. It's like problem solving in like a four dimensional space and realizing what these give and takes will be and how they would even out across a hundred and, you know, two minutes, because that's the, like the conversation you have with each head of each department is that their department is the most important thing in the movie. And by you not giving them what they want, which is what you want too. But if you give everybody everything that they want, then, you know, it won't work for the budget. So it's kind of like, it's having that like weird, uh, and you get, I, you know, can only kind of get it through experience of like understanding of how that's going to level out. So when you hear an idea that sounds really good to have, like to either dive in on it or be skeptical and think of other solutions that that's kind of like the, 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 the main skill, uh, in a, in a weird way is kind of like managing that. Cause that, cause then you, you start with that all the way, obviously, in prep and then that goes all the way to to vfx to the very end you know the very end there's like two shots in the drones uh footage at the very end when um rose is uh is is coming back to earth that i wasn't happy with some of the backgrounds and i'm like i'm still i was like still kicking around doing some vids on some additional stuff and uh and then i was just like or i could blow in on it like you know 25 percent <laughs> <laughs> and you, you know if you blow in on the show it's like yeah you don't notice that anymore all right fine you know it's like little that that in in finding those solutions overall when you're working on on the trying to make something epic on in this this weird like we're we're obviously I, I hate kind of even saying that we're low budget when there's so many great movies that are made for like five million and under but we are low budget for what the script is if that makes sense sure. um so like but that that is kind of the thing that I'm like, I, I, I there's just not many people that um, that exactly do that 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 weird thing that I'm doing. No, not at all. But that's what makes the movies kind of special that you Unique. watch. And Unique, yeah. Why? Yeah, like they're they're right in the mid range level that we just don't 
get anymore. Like a whole, like a whole lot of them, just like movies. No, and I think I talked to you about this last time, where I was like, and I just watched The Invisible Man again, and I was like, man, because uh, we, were, I was saying like, oh yeah, I'd have such a better career if I just did like what what he does, which is like, he's got a ten million dollar movie, he's gonna use, he's gonna make like a studio level looking movie for that ten million, and he's not gonna compromise anything visually, so that it, it all looks kind of perfect. And whereas I'm like, okay, I've got ten million. I'm gonna try to make a fifty million dollar movie for ten million. And I'm like, why do I do it like that? But I don't. It's 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 just I can't kind of fight my nature, I guess. It's just yeah. That, that's the whole the whole line in the movie. But it, it it's just what I want to do. I don't know why. Well, it also seems like that could be. This is like a totally different topic, but like that could be the future of movies itself right now because. Who knows if these gigantic blockbusters that spend hundreds of millions of dollars can even sus- like sustain themselves in our current ecosystem. So you kind of need dudes who are going to look at uh, like a $10 million budget or whatever million dollar budget and be like, yeah, but how can I quadruple this? Like I, I only get this amount of money, but how do I make a movie that looks like it's $50 million for $10 million? You know? Yeah, I mean, I do think obviously things get cheaper, right? Like the the tech the tech and that stuff does get cheaper, but um, like from from like so like there I wonder I wonder if there there will be like this tipping point like like we'll look back at like Endgame as like that's the most expensive movie that made all that and then um, you know from that on it's you know why go that expensive um, like you're saying if you don't have the you know the actual means to recoup things but in the current the current thing in this this post disney world because it feels like really it feels like silicon valley's just taken over hollywood in a weird way that they're all just like about like lost leaders it seems like they're not really they don't seem that worried about the budgets like i, I even saw someone tweet like well now that mandalorian's proved that you can do you know epic sci-fi on a television budget what else can we do i'm like but have they proved it because i'm pretty sure that like from like the budget is like totally untenable for any other show yes yeah. <laughs> just because it's disney and you know and it's star wars and and they're it's pretty much like driving this whole um uh, you know subscription thing and, and disney plus that like they don't care if the dollars and cents don't actually make sense for that show it's all about this bigger strategy now so it's a it's just a totally different business model than what like you know we all grew up with and uh in some ways it's interesting you know because it it, but um but it's definitely like it's harder to wrap my head around on like what things mean anymore i guess what numbers mean it's tough for me to to wrap my head around the fact that i've now had two conversations in 24 hours that involve the term loss leader and that I actually know what that even means. <laughs> yeah, like, <laughs> that's true. Like, I, yeah, I, 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 I hope I'm not trying to pass myself as an economics manager because I'm pretty sure it was, well, uh, no, it was like when, when Netflix started doing that, that that was the, that was when I was like, oh, okay, I get it. They're just like, fuck it, we're, we're, we're gonna spend like eight billion dollars. I was like, okay. Yeah, well, I think it's more a statement about how like anyone who operates 
in or around the entertainment industry has to at least understand its economics if you're not going to come off like a total jackass anymore. Like, yeah. you have to know what the term loss leader means. You have to know, like, the difference between releasing a movie on PVOD versus, you know, theatrical. Like, you have to know what all of this means because, like, we don't know what the future looks like anymore. It's it's sort of oddly terrifying. It is. It is. But at the same time, it's like, I guess for me, it's like, and this is what's so weird about um, promoting, you know, a movie and like kind of like having a franchise that's like this kind of weird niche franchise is that like people will be like get to the end of the interview and be like, so what do you you know want to do next? And I'm like, I, you realize like I have no fucking control over what like my career is whatsoever. You know, like I, I'm I'm going to keep you know, writing installments in the franchise that, that I, you know, have a part in, but I don't even control that. I don't have the rights to that. Um, you know, like it's just, to me, it's like, I don't know. I, I'm a, I got four kids. I've got a mortgage. It's all like, I'm, I'm just trying to figure out like literally how to secure work. It's, it's very much like, um, I'm not, I'm definitely not blue collar. I wouldn't, I think that'd be insulting to say that, but I'm like, middle class just a middle class filmmaker who's like you know do i have to refinance my house for the next year because things aren't going to shoot or am i going to get a job so when in those weird ways where people would be like oh the business is changing all that like in a lot of ways that's like for these fucking guys that are making like two million a script and i can't really get too bent out of shape for for them you know for me it's like yeah i I, it, it would just be good to get a job and if we get a job means that you know, it's at some type of streaming service, but I'm getting to do a movie every couple of years. Um, great. So I, yeah, I, I feel like I'm, I've become less sentimental about it than um, I think people that are like at the top of the game and they're like, you know, they're kind of living this, um, this, this luxury dream where every movie that they're making is is in theaters and they're, you know, I, 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 I would, I would love to be in that state of mind, but I'm still like you know, I'm still hustling and I'm like, yeah, well, do you want to pay me to make a movie next year? Let's go make a movie, you know? So it, 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 that's where I say like, it's kind of still exciting because there's with this whole tech vernacular and loss leader stuff the people seem a little bit more open to spending more money on stuff because there are those different avenues and it's not such a like black and white, um, or I should say black and red, kind of financial outlook on every movie yeah you're not as worried about what this makes in new york on opening weekend anymore no i I, i'm not even as worried about what the you know obviously i am uh but i but i'm saying like it's not even about like literally the the first couple of months it's you know what, what was so interesting about beyond skyline was like oh my god festival circuit it's a premiere and like you know some people said they liked it one guy the first person i saw on twitter said it was awful and it ruined frank grillo's career so that was nice uh, <laughs> i think someone in, at, at sitches at like two in the morning heard me scream fuck really loud um and then uh 
And then like, you know, like that was like in October and then the movie comes out in December. And and interesting enough, like Lindsay's fans really went crazy when the movie came out in December. But then, you know, it was on Blu-ray in January and then it was out on on streaming in in April. So even just getting that weird life to it was interesting. And now, like three years later, people still will talk about it and, and say, you know, still get reactions out of people on it. So I, I have definitely like this longer view. We're like, yeah, because these movies are are such a smaller overhead that it is kind of like there. It is a lost leader situation in itself where it's like you, you build these things out and you you're building a library and you're building a franchise. It's not so much about like uh got to got to make all the money back opening weekend. It's not even close to that. It's like the fact that uh, that Beyond Skyline um like doubled expectations on Blu-ray and DVD, which we're still talking is under $5 million. But the fact that it doubled that um, modest amount that was projected is why Vertical was wanted to, to make part three. So it is like, it's a, it's a, it's a different world in a lot of ways. Yeah. So what, I know you hate this question, but what is next? (laughs) <laughs> no, I, I don't hate the question. It's more when it's like, what what franchise do you want to do next? Whereas I'm just kind of like, man, I wish I I wish I lived in your reality where, where I'd have you know the, that that type of opportunity that's just gonna come at me. But like in mine, it's like, um, everything everything is kind of just self generated and 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 even you know like the the thing that um I'm hoping to shoot next is uh is something I. Someone sent me, but I've, I kind of have tracked it down myself and um, it met with the writer. Um, his name is Braggy Shoot, who did uh, the Escape Room movie, uh, Samaritan with Stallone right now. And uh, he actually did Season of the Witch um, with Nick Cage back oh. in the day that, that I did an uncredited rewrite on. And uh, so we had we had kind of a nice uh, uh, war stories to trade on that. Um if you if you watch that movie, all of the really like cheesy one-liners in the montage is is me <laughs> at the beginning of the movie. Like relativity back then would be like, you know what? We need to open this movie with a montage. That was their note for for the first skyline too. It was like this default note of like open with a montage, uh, and we're like, okay. Um, so we 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 wrote that for uh, Joshua Cordes, the co-writer of Skyline. I wrote that for for the season of the witch reshoot. Um, and, uh, but so his, his project is called, um, Abomination and it is like a World War II set, uh, Arctic circle, um, kind of a, a creature film, adventure film. Um, it's kind of like a, like a dances with wolves meets Jaws sort of vibe. And, uh, yeah, it would be like a, definitely more of a, a dread inducing, um, thriller, with uh but it feels like it could happen with uh with a smaller cast because um and in, in, in different settings uh you know in a in a, a covid or you know hopefully the vaccine but within that you know the new that new world that was still probably going to be dealing with in for the next year uh, but we'll see but i feel like that would be it could be a cool change of pace for me because it would still but it would still kind of be leaning on like the lessons that I just learned from Skylines because, you know, filming on an alien planet and filming in the Arctic are, are not too dissimilar. And, and then um, 
working with uh, with creature effects, but kind of more even more practical effects on 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 something like this, and more well, a lot more practical blood, and uh, and stuff like that would be a lot of fun. Yeah, uh, the alien planet's probably warmer though. <laughs> it is warmer. It is warmer. Did you see the show um, The Terror on AMC? Yes. So that that was shot like almost exactly how we shot Skylines. And I, I didn't talk to anybody. I didn't look at any of the behind the scenes, but I could just tell that they built like a really good Arctic set and like snowy ice set. Um, and then they would just kind of reconfigure it a lot. And then there was obviously some locations once they moved into more of the rocky parts, but like all the stuff where the bears is attacking them and and the the ships behind them on the ice and stuff, there was there was a lot on stage. Okay. I, yeah. So that I, it, that kind of was like uh, just for research, I was uh, told, oh, you got to watch the show because it had some some similar themes and, and it has obviously a big killer creature in it that's fucking rad. It's a really good show. I feel like no one talked about it. Um, yeah, I love it though. Went. Yeah. It yeah. was it was not ideal early pandemic viewing. I, I may have drank like too much whiskey because the characters are always drinking whiskey and it's cold and it's fucking bleak. And uh, I got kind of into it and it may have put away some some frontier bourbon on that. But, uh but I really liked it. But yeah, that, that there's there's definitely a way to film in the Arctic. Like you know, you obviously have to do a ton of locations. But um, but yeah, I I, I took away that that there's there's a way to do a good amount on stages. Sure. No. Especially especially if you got a, a a big creature that's gnashing teeth and stuff. You're not you're not bringing that thing out onto the into the tundra. Well. You could bring it down. That would kind of be fun. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, animatronics have a you, – you want to keep them in ideal situations. Yeah. Well, Liam, I got to tell you, it's been a pleasure as always. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I feel like I, these are always the most real interviews I get to do. Um, yeah. I like to – so, yeah, hopefully, hopefully that's the takeaway as well. No, it's I it it's a lot of fun. I, like I said, I listened back to the the first one, and it's one of the, the better conversations I've had for the show. So I when we both kind of had the idea of like, oh, let's do Skylines too. Like, sure, why not? Like, it, it would be a, a ton of fun. And I mean, it I mean, it definitely helps that I mean, both of the movies are uh, totally rad and. Um, I'm really excited as well, although obviously not as excited as you are to see how people actually uh, respond to them because or at least to this movie, to the third film, because it um, it is its own thing while completely uh, expanding the mythos of like the, the, the second film. And I mean, it even has I mean, this interview is going to air like a, a, for a month after it's been out so i don't feel bad saying this but it even hints at the return of one of our favorite characters uh if there is another installment so like it's just kind of got it's got everything that you wanted from a sequel for it oh that, yeah i know it's funny because that that was one of the, i shot two endings and um 
And I just felt like I get, that was one of those things where the Trent and Rose story was was shifting the most um, in the during the shooting. And there was there was an earlier version where he didn't survive. And uh, I didn't it didn't never set that right with me. And so I didn't want to shoot that uh, as the only one. I was like, I have to figure out um, what he what he's going to look like. And I thought like, well, you know, it's like it's been this reoccurring thing that, you know, how hard it is in, with him in these suits. What if we will bring him in in a, in a different look? And then if we got to do a part four, I would make a suit for that one as well, uh, which would be really exciting. But, uh, yeah, it just kind of seemed like it was leading back to that, like where their arcs were and everything was like rather than doing some type of bigger tease that, that would be like some new threat or something. It just felt like it it was unfinished business. And we had to we had to kind of tease that. And, you know, we got Frank to sign off for all of the footage in the movie and got to talk to him about, you know, possibly coming back for part four and uh he's he was pretty excited about that idea um i don't think i've told anybody exactly that yet so if this is airing a month after it comes out that you know we talked about it it's obviously a lot of things would have to happen for that to happen but uh he was one of the the really nice things he said he's like i'll tell you that movie we made our movie people still people still talk about it (laughs) that kind of made me happy that uh he was still getting reactions for it he's like it's kind of something else, huh? <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, it is. And uh, and I, so you know, it would be really exciting to me. Like, it, it's like um, our, you know, Fast and Furious in in space. Is that like, what if what if they kept getting better and we kind of kept getting to develop these characters and these emotional connections over uh, over a number of films? That'd be a lot of fun. It's weird that you bring up the Fast and the Furious because, like, you would have to do the inverse of that is that you would have to do – like, they're always, like, setting the Fast and the Furious to space. And you, you have to think about, like, what the opposite of that is. You're like, send Skylines to the Antarctic. Like, maybe do something like that. It's just totally weird. Okay. Uh, did you steal the treatment from my <laughs> – <laughs> from my hard drive uh anyway um that, that's pretty funny that you said the antarctic uh um yeah i guess i feel like i do need a, a good chase scene that's it you know to, to have that fast and furious and and um I, both the past two films the, the third acts have been tipped to you know fury road <laughs> which i think you can tell from the from the relentless music um throughout the end scene so I, I feel like i need to do some type of uh vehicular alien mayhem in uh in another in another chapter that would be that would be something to, to check off the bucket list yeah why not fuck it why not <laughs> <laughs> all right man well thank you again for taking the time out to talk with me i think we have like 3 hours I, I just was looking at the the uh, clock and I was like, wow, that's a lot. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's gonna be a a long two parter. Yeah, yeah, you should split it up. I think that's wise. <laughs> well, yeah, there's there's gonna be one that's gonna be about beyond skylines. There's gonna be skylines. It's gonna be love it. Two love it. It's gonna be great. So, but again, thank you so much. This has been awesome. Thank you, Jacob. Appreciate it. Yeah, man. Good luck. All right. Thank you, sir. Talk soon.